podcast. Thank you for listening to the Words and Nerds podcast. The podcast has had over 1 million plays and that's all thanks to you. For the holidays, I bring you the best of series for 2023, the most listened to and loved episodes. If you enjoy the podcast, you can review it on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts or drop me a line on social media. This episode is brought to you by Gin & Co, author website design specialists. If you want a beautiful and functional website to promote your books and brand, reach out to Jin today. His work includes tailored, expertly designed, professional author websites. I finally have a website I'm proud to share. And we've got a special offer for Words and Nerds listeners. Reach out today and get a free domain name and website hosting for the first year. You can get their website essentials package, includes domain name, website hosting, backup and security, free for the first year with any website purchase. This is valued at $330 a year. Choose a website designed to bring your author brand to life. You can find more details about this special offer at ginand.co forward slash words and nerds. Welcome to the Words and Nerds podcast. I'm Danny V, podcast host and children's author. I also do some work in publishing in acquisitions and publicity. As we hurdle towards 1 million plays, we'll continue to provide you with the conversational, vulnerable, honest, and fun chats with your favorite authors across all genres. Check out our takeover episodes, usually released on a Friday, and our spin-offs released during the month. Thank you for being here, being part of the journey, and supporting Aussie creatives. Welcome to the Words and Nerds podcast, where we bring literary goodness straight to your ears. I'm going to tell you straight up, I don't know how to do this on my own. I have done over 600 episodes, and they've always been interviewing guests. Uh, now I'm kind of interviewing myself or it's going to be a monologue I really don't know what I do know is that the series with Sarah Bailey has been amazing and we've really been able to see her journey from unpublished unsigned manuscript um, right to it being released early next year so that's really exciting that we get to see that whole process uh, the warts and all kind of process and we get to hear about things that we may not usually hear I think so much of the public publishing industry is here's my beautiful book <laughs> and there's not um a lot in between or you know we see the signing of the new book you know we love those posts but there's a lot of missing information in between and so as i'm going through every step of the way of my first junior fiction book i'm learning so many things that i reckon might have come in handy <laughs> before i started writing so, and I do speak to a lot of writers and I have learned a lot from a lot of writers, but I guess there's always still things to learn, which is both daunting and exciting. <laughs> so I'm going to talk about writing first drafts today because that's where it all started. I started a manuscript I'd been writing and had picture books published, but I'd never written, well, I had written, but I'd never <laughs> sort of got anything published that it's extended. I'd, I'd written a 90,000 word crime novel that had kind of gone nowhere. I've written a short crime story, which I'm very, oh, that was very hard. So I don't know. <laughs> I think about pulling it every day. So I just have to let that one go into the world and see what happens. Um, but junior fic was something that I really wanted to try. And so 15,000 words was my goal. And I wanted to do something funny and I wanted to have a female protagonist. That were the sort of the three things that I knew. And I wanted to have a female protagonist that was sort of in the vein of the wimpy kid 
in a way, but only because the funny, unlucky, silly things usually happen to boys. Um, and I think there's a lot of freedom in that. And so I, I wanted to see what happens if there's a lot of stuff that happens to this girl and and what does that look like so i kind of was inspired by my daughter who's found it really hard to get into books because she hasn't seen herself in books yet and i'm sure there are books out there that she just hasn't found but you know that kind of wild free-spirited girl that we do see in books but i just wanted to tap into that a little bit more so when i first started i thought fifteen thousand words okay you know i've written a 90,000 word crime novel and I've written many crime novels that have hit you know the 50k the danger zone as Holden Shepard would say so I thought 15,000 I can write that I can probably write that in a month that was what I thought and I'm sure some people can but I could not so I sort of toiled over the first couple of chapters let's call it three chapters and I just wrote and rewrote and wrote and rewrote these three chapters because there's something about me and I I don't know if this is um (laughs) hindering my writing but there's something about me where I have to get the first couple of chapters right before I can even progress with a zero draft and by right I mean I need to get the voice right I need to get the characters right and I need to get that opening scene right that hopefully is really you know for this purpose silly and wacky and extraordinary and trying to get the readers into the story and so it took me wait for it eight months to finish the first one or two chapters because I couldn't get it right. I kept reading them to my kids. My kids were going, "Mm, yeah, that's okay. Um, And I'd say, is it funny? They're like, oh yeah, it's okay. Obviously that really wasn't the feedback or the goal that I had in mind. I didn't want to just be "Mm, okay. And so then the kids, you know, reach for another book. So I rewrote and rewrote and rewrote and read them every iteration, which they were, you know, mildly amused or barely looked up from the TV. So I did think, hmm, it's just my kids. And I thought, no, no, trust, trust them. You know, they're avid readers and they're kids. They know what's funny. So I kept going, kept going, kept going. And then finally I thought of quite a ridiculous idea in the beginning. I thought, oh, I wonder if this is too ridiculous, but let's go with it. And I read it to my kids and my son just looked at me and said, finally, you finally got it. And I was like, oh, I'm onto something here. So once I figured out how it was going to open the novel, then the character voices started coming in really strongly. And I knew in my gut that the characters weren't right. And so that's why I couldn't progress with it because I knew, I knew the character voice, I hadn't found it yet. And I think once you find the character voice, everything changes. And luckily in the next (laughs) junior fiction novel that I've written, um, it came, came a lot easier actually. So I'll talk a little bit about the difference between that draft and this draft too. So eight months to write three chapters, (laughs) but after that i thought okay i've got what i needed to go forth and then i finished the rest of the book um probably in about six weeks so it's almost like i needed to toil and rewrite and think and sleep on it and you know had to percolate in my brain before i could move forward but i can write pretty quickly once i know what i'm doing and where i'm going i'm not sure if i guess that's for all of us um i've tried planning you know, planning versus pantsing. I've tried very much to plan, but that's just a no-go. I get bored. I don't 
follow what I plan anyway. And I feel like for me, the creativity just gets stuck. And so when I'm sitting there trying to plan, I'm like, I don't know, I don't have any ideas at all. So for me, I feel like I have a very loose structure. I have this character, she wants this, she's got these two friends, uh, they're going to go camping, she's going to be at school, and she's going to have a birthday party. So that was kind of where I started, like very much a skeleton. And then I just wrote my way into it. And I feel like my brain works best that way because I'm like, oh, they're at a birthday party. Oh, this can happen and this can happen and this can happen. And I can't sort of seem to generate these ideas until I'm knee neck deep into the scene. And so I think it keeps it unpredictable. It keeps it fresh, keeps it unpredictable even for the writer. <laughs> but I think it also makes it a little bit wackier and funny because my brain isn't trying to plan a whole story. My brain's just in a birthday party. Like what are all the wacky things that could happen at a birthday party? Um, you know, her dad is this incredibly passionate vegan. So what does that mean for the birthday party? So just unpacking the characters and then how they interact, you know, with the world, etc. So I think um, I'd love to be a planner because I feel like the writing would be just so much quicker, but I don't think I would write anything very interesting because my brain doesn't work like that. Once it's locked in or like I say, hyper fixated on something, um, you know, a thousand tabs open at that point. So I persevered because I just really knew that I loved this character and I loved her friends as well. I loved her dad particularly. And so I thought these characters are worth persevering for. And I'm glad I did in the end. And I don't want to get too ahead of myself, but you know, once I had the readers and the editor come through, like I knew that yes, it was certainly um certainly going to be worth persevering for this. Um, I've got to say, when my kids finally said, that's actually funny now, mum, I just wanted to run around the block screaming in joy because I was like, oh, my God, I did it. Um, I think I heard, I was talking to my friend Ingrid Laguna and she said something about she cracked the spine. I think it was cracked the spine of the book. And it was just that toiling, toiling, toiling until you go, yes, this is this is where I'm going with this. I've cracked the spine of the book. I hope I've got that term right, Ingrid. <laughs> but it stuck in my mind because I thought, yep, that's exactly what happens. It's not quite right. It's not quite right. It's not quite right. And there's no timeline for this. You know, it might take a more experienced writer a couple of weeks, a couple of hours. It took me eight months for this one. So I just think you've just got to trust your gut because your gut is telling you absolutely this is right or this needs work. And it's annoying because you're like, I just want to get this done. But I think it's definitely worth the wait than submitting something half-baked so like i said once i cracked the back if you like or cracked the spine whatever the terminology is Ingrid will remind me um i just knocked out the rest of it in a few weeks this is just your zero draft i still went back and rewrote it and reread it etc but you know getting that zero draft down i think is really important because once i've got a zero draft i love the self-editing part of going back and making this kind of shapeless thing sound as good as it can um i have a couple of go-to's in terms of people um as a writer, you need these go-to people. You need them to be, I think, in my opinion, your mates. You need to really trust them um, and you need to be able to sort of be a bit vulnerable. And so I go to Adrian Beck for advice all the time. He doesn't think I'm going to him for advice. He thinks I'm just having a chat, but secretly getting all this advice for him. So that's been invaluable over the last million years or so that we've been friends. Adam Wallace as well. I don't know if he knows he's my go-to guy either, but <laughs> he's always really funny and he's always really giving really good advice about humour. You know, stuff that 
you know or you've seen but you haven't really thought about and he has so he talks about this technique that the simpsons use of repetition and i remember there was this scene where bart was putting his finger into a powerpoint and he was going ouch 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 like for so long and the first couple of ouches are really funny and then you think what are they doing this is really annoying but if they keep doing it it becomes funny again so then you get two laughs out of this one joke so I really, really liked that idea of the repetition and just those simple things, you know. And then when I spoke to um, Rove McManus on the on the podcast, he was talking about as a comedian talking about the unexpected, you know. So you're taking the readers or you know the audience down a path, and then you go, bam! I'm going to hit you with this thing that you don't expect, and that's why it's funny. So I'm really interested in learning about those funny techniques. And I know Jerry Seinfeld has heaps too in his book, but just really understanding how comedy is created. Then you've almost got this kind of bank of you know comic devices, if you like, and then you can just sort of go to that bank, if you like. It sounds kind of formulaic, but you know, when you're trying to be funny in a book, you do need to to know the techniques, I think. So that's really interesting. And also, you know, my publisher, James Layton, he's loves, he's very honest, <laughs> but in a, in a really sort of knowledgeable way. So I'll talk about it a bit later when I did my first reading about, um, well, I'll talk about it now, actually. So I think this is really important. So I wrote My Epic Dad to Brief. So James was like, oh, I want a dad who's funny, adventurous optimistic but really unlucky and so that picture book you know when I said what do you want how do you want it tell me exactly what you want each page besides each spread besides the first and last needed to be a joke and so I sort of had every spread as like with a punchline and so then I went (laughs) into jfic thinking I needed that many jokes like I needed to jam this thing with jokes Um, for it to be a funny novel. And that's me being an inexperienced writer. The result was an absolutely chaotic, manic opening that probably resembles what my brain looks like with jokes, so many jokes that it felt like someone was yelling in your ear. And I read my first chapter to James because I really trust what he thinks. And he was like, yeah, that's not going (laughs) to work. And I was like, well, you said you wanted heaps of jokes and now you don't want heaps of jokes. So, you know, and then I started speaking to people and with JFIC, obviously, it's obvious now, um, you need to give the jokes space. A, they're funnier and B, you give room for characters and action and setting and all those other things that you need to put into books. And I was like, well, if you wanted every spread to be funny, how many funny times do you want to happen in a chapter in a JFIC? And everyone was like, oh, two. I'm like, oh, okay, well, I've done... 200 so I need to edit that out so I did it was a big job but every page that I edited and just kept the really good jokes well jokes that I thought were really good and ditching the other ones made such a difference and it gave it this breathing space and then the book becomes this kind of roller coaster of you know some quieter moments some louder moments some funnier moments some heartfelt moments and you know that's what we all love when we watch movies so it was kind of a no-brainer it is when I talk about it in retrospect. <laughs> when I was doing it, I was like, ah, oh, quick, let's jam in all the jokes. So it was a first draft manic dump, which I like to call it. And if you ever want to read that dump, I'm sure I've got it on my laptop somewhere. And it is an actual um, picture of what my brain looks like. So that's just scary in itself. What I did learn was that I put absolutely 
everything into developing characters, obsessing over their dialogue, making sure it's different from other people's dialogue, like they've got their own voice, the interactions between characters, if they have a type of humour, how they feel, how they interact with the world, what they want, absolutely making them identifiable, especially because you've got three kids, you know, they could very easily be crossing over on each other and you don't know who's speaking or whatever. So I was kind of obsessed with making sure every character in my book was really important and they all wanted something and they all had a really distinct character and dialogue. So I hope that I've achieved that. And parents as well. Like I, I, if I'm going to have parents in the story, I want them to be purposeful and funny because I often think that you read any fairy tale and parents are dead um, or parents are in the background. And, you know, for kids, as much as, you know, books will tell us they adventure on their own, this was a book that was kind of wasn't fantasy. It's just, you know, about year six. Their parents are involved in their lives and very involved. And, you know, possibly from a year six kid's point of view, too much involved. <laughs> but I have a son around the same age and I'm very involved in his life. So I thought I'm going to I'm going to make those parents be part of that story. And why not make them wacky and funny and interesting on their own? So when structuring the overall story for the draft, um, I did have the overarching theme of this girl being this rebel and trailblazer and that's what I wanted my protagonist Riley to be and so once I got that right in my head I structured the overall book in that way she wants this particular thing which she can't get that's the overarching want but then each chapter was kind of like a little mini story. And so the first two chapters are set at school and then we're at home at their birthday party and then we're somewhere else and then we're at camping and then we're somewhere else again. So each little chapter is a little story of its own, but still with that overarching want that Alex, uh, sorry, her name was Alex, I changed it to Riley, that Riley wanted in the end. Can I say changing a character name in a book is really annoying because you forget to change some of them. Even when you do the search to change all, you still miss some somehow. I don't know how, but I, I did. Um, bit of a tangent there. But anyway, so I think once then I got the setting and where they were and who was at the house or who was at the birthday, etc. then I could think of things um, that could happen. You know, so at the birthday party, there's in really interesting interactions with a jar of cockroaches and dad's flaming undies. And there's also a camping chapter, which I took from a real life experience. So when you read that chapter, that actually happened to me. It's a disaster. So first drafts, they're really hard when you've not done them before. Maybe drafts are always hard. I don't know. I can only talk from my own experience. But I think as you keep writing draft after draft after draft, it has to, it kind of, I don't know if it gets easier, but I think you know the direction in which you're going. And I love feedback. Editing is hard. I'm not going to pretend it's not. When you get edited from other other people, it's not hard as in like I can take the feedback, but it's it's really intense doing the work, but really important. Um, but I think for all of us, and if you're listening to this, like writing isn't a choice. We do it because we have to. And there's something inside us because we're human that compels us to tell stories. And that's that's kind of what humankind is about. You know, that's how we connect with each other. You know, we sit around at a dinner party and we tell stories. You know, we might, I never do, but people might talk about the weather for five minutes, but then we're talking about stories, we're connecting, we're empathizing, we're making each other laugh. So there's nothing more important than storytelling. And I think some of us just have that inside us more, which compels us to write in what is quite a tough industry. 
So that was my first draft experience. Um, so I don't know if you've taken what you could have taken out of that, but maybe the importance of developing character, the importance of working towards cracking the back or cracking the spine of the novel um, and trusting your gut when your gut says not, you're not there yet. And thinking about if you want to write something funny, thinking about all the techniques that are used to make things funny. You know, in The Simpsons, they have a writer's table of, you know, 10 or 20 people there all being funny and having their own ideas. When you're writing a book, it's usually just you. So <laughs> it's important that you have those as bank of funnies if you're writing a funny story. I will quickly talk about um, the second junior fiction novel that I wrote. So I had sort of throat two on the go. Um, another one that I haven't, it's about 10,000 words unsigned, still on my laptop, which I will finish hopefully soon. Um, but I, in the middle of all this, I, I got a literary agent, um, so Rochelle from Alex Adset, literary agent. And so I thought, yep, yeah, um, I'm not always going to write on brand for Larrikin House. I've had manuscripts rejected from Larrikin House. They, they sit in the, what does James call that folder? He calls the folder the, <laughs> um, the, I don't know, there was this weird name, parked, that's right, he called it the parked folder. And I said, look, that's just long-term parking folder, isn't it? Like that's a folder that's never going to be revisited again, is it? So, you know, I've been rejected by, my, you know, like all of us, various publishers. So, but I thought, okay, I'm not always going to write on brand stuff for Larrick and House. And I, my, my intent, got this from Shawnee Avery, is that I'm just going to write so much that some of it has to stick, right? And I think that would be my advice to any new or aspiring writer is that you just write and you write and you write and you write and you submit and you submit and you submit and you submit. And the most important thing you do next is you forget. You forget about all the things that you've submitted and you go and write something else. I think I see a lot of posts with people just staring at their laptops, refreshing, refreshing for that email that, you know, never comes sometimes from publishers. But instead, imagine how many words you can write. So I've just got this philosophy. I've written it down in my study. Write, submit, forget. Write, submit, forget. You can chase a publisher. Publishers are so busy. I can attest to that. Some of them get back to you. Some of them don't. And, you know, instead of wasting your precious time waiting for an email, that may or may not come or may or may not be good news. Just keep writing. I feel like that's, you feel like you're moving forward as well. And I think if you write so, so much, then A, you've got a better chance of getting published or published again. And B, you'll get better at your craft. You know, it's that whole 10,000 hours thing, you know, keep doing that. You get better and better and better. Um, I digress. So spoke to my agent, said, right, what do you want? So she gave me an idea, signed with her in August. Um, gave me an idea, you know, I think publishers looking for this in JFIC. I said, okay, cool. Um, so I was really motivated, motivated a, to make nice with my agent <laughs> and to see, you know, to see if other publishers would be interested in my work. And so I, it's October now that I'm recording this. So I smacked that out between August and October and gave that to my agent just worked really hard on it, 15,000 words. So you can see the comparison between the draft that I just spoke to you about, which took maybe nine or 10 months in total. And this one took less than two months. So it's really interesting because I had the advantage of struggling through the first one and then getting all the amazing first edits from Kim Astle, who is the most incredible human I know in terms of editing. So thank you, Kim. Um, and I just took all that with me 
all that new information and new learnings that I had about the shortcomings of my own writing. <laughs> and I went, bam, let's do this. And for some reason, unknown to me, these are this idea, these characters just came really fast. And it was a topic that I sort of knew about, but a theme I wasn't too familiar about. So I also had to do a little bit of research, but thankfully we live in Google, not in microfiche era. And every time I needed to know something, I would just Google it. And I was like, well, what if this is going to be good enough? And then when I read it through, I think we underestimate how much we do know or do research or, you know, do put things together. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah, I think this is okay. This is the first time I hadn't got anyone to read it before I sent it to my agent. I was like, oh, I just want to get it to her. So I read it to myself a hundred times and I was like, okay, go, send it. And she got back to me and said that she loved it. She did have some structural edits for me, which I appreciate and I'm yet to get or crack into. Um, but when I, when I get that, I'll definitely be doing all the things that she asked me to do. Um, because you know, you've got to trust the people that you choose to work with. So I really trust, trust my publisher, James, I really trust Rochelle literary agent and I trust my go-tos. Um, so yeah, uh, that's, that's really crazy that 10 months versus two months. And then the one in between that I'm working on, it's a 10,000 one, 10,000 words at the moment, but I'm going to get to 15. Um, that came quicker. I've been working on that probably for about four months now, but then I had a big break because I wrote the one for my agent in two months. And so I had a big break from that. So that's probably been working on that for two months and I've just started, I just started to go back to that. And then I got the edits for, um, this one that took me 10 months. So the second round of edits. So I'm doing that as we speak and I'll talk about that as we go on through the episodes. So I'd be really interested to hear from you, um, about your first drafts, about how long they've taken you, about character, about funny techniques that you've used, um, whether you've decided to get a literary agent, um, anything else, you know, when you've known that you've cracked the back or cracked the spine of this story and how do you know um, and any feedback you've gotten and if you've got some go-tos as well, some go-to people, which I think is really important. So the next thing I'm going to talk about in the next episode is um, your first readers. Um, you need some sort of writer friends for that, call in some favours and I'm um, going to talk about uh, setting, rewriting and uh, kind of kind and positive feedback. So we'll crack into that next. So I hope this has been of some help. <laughs> it's been actually really good for me to reflect upon all of that. Um, it hasn't been as weird as I thought talking to myself, thought it could be much weirder. Uh, but if you've got something that you want to share or something you want me to talk about next, um, just drop it on socials. Um, I'm always on socials. I enjoy them. They take away my anxiety. So people say, get off your phone. And I say, do whatever makes you feel present and calm and happy. So that's me. First episode solo. And the next episode, I'll talk about some more stuff. So I hope that helps. See you later.